Hey y'all and welcome to episode 2 of Favorite for the Win, a husband and wife take on sports and life where it sounds like a good fight even when we agree. I'm Shannon Favorite. And I'm Greg Favorite. So Greg, what is the difference between an amuse-bouche and an hors d'oeuvre? I don't know Shannon, what is it? An amuse-bouche is usually a single bite, something that the chef prefers to bring out to you, as opposed to an hors d'oeuvre where there are multiple items to choose from. So this week's amuse-bouche is going to be about RPOs. The old run-pass option, which... Um, didn't see much of an improvement from week one to week zero with, in just specifically the, the marquee games that I watched yesterday. Five mishandled snaps that caused fumbles and turnovers. The quarterback and the running back just not being on the same page. Isn't the RPO just an extension of an old high school play? Yeah, the triple option or option, not triple option, probably just the regular option. All right, so moving along, the Platt principle this week, week one of college football. Let's start with Alabama and Duke. What do you think? Well, I think if I was going to redo my Heisman pick from week zero or preseason, if you will, Jerry Judy stands out to me. 10 for 137 and a touchdown, and guy has speed that can just absolutely pop the top off the coverage. And doesn't need much space to stop and start and to get going. There were multiple times yesterday, for those of you that didn't watch, where he was just, he outclassed everyone in the Duke secondary and in the end of the Duke linebacker core with his world-class speed. He wasn't the only one, though. All three of those wide receivers and the tight end, to me, showed speed all throughout the game. Yeah, it's everywhere you look, top to bottom with every progression. Between Waddle, Judy, Smith, and and Ruggs, those guys, those guys, like, it, you don't. You, there's not enough line. There's not enough backs, defensive backs, to cover those guys. I don't think there's enough defensive backs just at Duke, but I think across the country. I don't know how many people are going to be able to have five or six DBs or a linebacker that can keep up with that speed. Yeah, I, I, I agree, and I think. But your good teams, after the first, after they got the first quarter out of them, they put their foot on the gas, cleaned up the mistakes, and it looked like they passed the eye test. Other than Oregon, who went down opening drive. In Jarrah's world, and just absolutely blowtorch this strong Alabama or Auburn front four with their offensive line. But I mean, after that, the good teams after the first quarter, the good teams just kicked it up a notch, and it looked like okay, we're ready to go. So I'm gonna stand Alabama and Duke for just a second because during the first quarter, I was a little concerned about my preseason way too early national uh, pick for the national championship game, which is Alabama, um, and I was looking at Duke and th- saying. Are we back in 1989? Are they going to win the ACC championship again? Yeah, no, and then quickly, as, as what Nick does with all of his teams, he becomes a destroyer of dreams. When you play Alabama, it's where dreams go to die. So moving along, I think the next game that we probably want to talk about is Alabama-Oregon. Is the Pac-12 done? No, the Pac-12 is, is not done. Um, I think, you know, look, we can go into – I. Oregon had a great game plan. Um, and to be quite honest with you, for three quarters and that vaunted defensive line of the Auburn Tigers with – it wasn't your dad's Chip Kelly team. Let's just be real honest about that. This isn't the Chip Kelly Oregon Ducks. They have big physical 330, I believe, is the average weight, 330 to 335 across the line. Um, but the problem is is they ran out of depth when you lost – they had lost four wide receivers in that game. And as you could see, as we got into the second half and the fourth quarter, 
there was no shots to be taken down the field. Everything was kind of, I don't want to say dink and dunk, but it was a lot of underneath stuff trying to make a guy have a guy in space make a play. And it just wasn't there. And, and to be quite honest with you, the other thing too, Auburn did, they tightened it up with their true freshman quarterback, Bo Nix. Um, they tightened it up, and he actually went out there and won the game for him in the fourth quarter. So, you know, props to Auburn. But I don't, again, the question was, is the Pac-12 done? I don't believe so. I think uh, you can go to UW with Jake Eason, Georgia transfer. He threw for a mile's worth of yards yesterday. They could also be a contender. And, I like, look, I know that one loss for the Pac-12 might not be ultimately get them where they want into the playoff, but it's still early. I think there's a lot of stuff that can happen. It is, but they took quite a few losses. UCLA lost yesterday. USC lost yesterday. UCLA lost on Thursday to Cincinnati. That's true. Um, Stanford had a rough game yesterday. Utah won. Talk about the bright positives, because we could say the same thing about the SEC yesterday. We absolutely could. Which I'm sure you're going to get to in a, in a, a little bit later, but it's... It again becomes the two, the two teams that have been kind of the constant there over the last I don't know ten or twelve years. Even when Chip Kelly was at Oregon, it's Oregon and Washington. Um, so we'll see. I mean, I don't I don't want to say anybody's done at this point after we've just had Week One. That's the funny thing. It's like it's Week fun- One. <laughs> it's exactly. We it's talked the- about it last week. <laughs> yep. There's no difference between Week Zero and Week One, and here we are. Everybody's up in flames, like including the SEC. Apparently, I mean, when we have, I, I was going through Facebook last night, and all of a sudden, people were asking, "Is Memphis the best team from the state of Tennessee?" Stop it, people! Stop it. But that does go into the next conversation here. Jeremy Pruitt had a little bit of a rough start yesterday against Georgia State. Yeah, I mean, second year is a defensive guy, and what I saw yesterday. They, they got smoked. Like, they got bulldozed running the football, guys running in the secondary wide open. Um, and then the other thing is, is, is Garitano going to live up to the expectations of what is a top 300 recruit? Uh, you know, here. Jeremy Pruitt, and I'm going to throw in uh, Willie Taggart into this conversation as well. Because Florida State also got shown up yesterday by Boise State. And I, I'm not going to call that an upset. But it still felt like kind of an upset because it's Florida State, right? Yep. And I think, so, Jimbo Fisher's last year at Florida State before he decided to bolt, what, no call, no text, <laughs> and leave? He <laughs> had a bad offensive line. Um, and it's and it's been tough where Willie Taggart is going, I mean, he comes from the Harbaugh tree at Stanford, which is going to be big physical offensive line. We're going to run a pro-style offense. And we're going to turn around Spider Y to Banana and all those kinds of things. And, like, it's been a tough go for him. However, he brings in Kendall Browse, and the offense just looked totally different in the first half than it did last year. The quarterback had time. They were running the football. It looked like they were going to boat race Boise State. And guess what didn't happen? They didn't boat race them. They actually landed up getting boat raced. No. Not not so much essentially, but they landed up. I mean, they, they blew a 30, 26-point lead. 18-point lead. It was actually, it was 18 point lead and they came back and beat them by something. But what I don't want to do is I don't want to like sound the alarm bells for Jeremy Pruitt or Willie Taggart yet. I'm a firm believer in, and this is something that, you know, we've seen over the years in different schools, especially those schools that quote unquote think they're supposed to win games. They fire their coaches way too early. Tennessee has been fiscally irresponsible with many a coach in the past few years. 
you got to give these coaches at least five years, in my opinion. Let them get all the way through the system. When you have a coach that's only been there for three years, that's roughly a little over, you know, that's 60% of the roster that they've been able to turn over to people that they would have recruited for their style of football. So you got to give them that opportunity. And all I'm telling you is all these year two people, them, let's throw Charlie Strong into the mix. Like, slow down, everybody. Let them get their people in there. We, we, they they got to get through the whole recruiting cycle, in my opinion. I, I, I agree. Yes, got it. It's the SEC. Yes, they have huge recruiting budget, budget, and they give you those kinds of things. I think the second largest recruiting budget in the country at one point or another in the past five years. Sure. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with you. And I think it's, you know, it's tough because when the expectations are so high, it's, it's specifically in that conference, too. Yeah. Specifically in that conference, too, where, like, again, Auburn fan thinks that they're entitled. They've won two national titles in in 100 years. Yeah. And it's the entitled, it's the Nick Saban, it's what Nick Saban's done to the SEC because he's won 5-10. and ten. Sure, but I gotta say, Tennessee's kind of in the same boat as Auburn, and they're my alma mater, and I don't like saying it, but... They're in the same boat as Auburn from that respect. There's only been two. One in the 1950s when our athletic director, Phil Fulmer, was playing, and then 1998. And that's 21 years ago. Yep. Same thing at Florida State. You've won, like, three national titles in 150 years. But I think when you see, like, the likes of Alabama, even Florida has won multiple championships in the last 30 years. Uh, I think that the SEC and what we expect out of the SEC, it just means more. Yep. I think we're taking that a little too seriously. Yep, I agree. I think so. Let's talk about a couple of guys that made their debut yesterday and looked, and their teams looked pretty good. Um, the return of the Mac. Mac Brown is back, and he's back at North Carolina, and they had it going against a pretty good South Carolina football team uh, with a true freshman quarterback. This, is it? Is it? Was it a pretty good South Carolina team? Or are you just saying that because they're in the SEC? I, it could be a good South Carolina team. I'm not quite sure yet. The only time will tell. But he goes with a true freshman quarterback and Sam Howe, 15-24, 245 yards and two touchdowns. And then the one that you could that could get away from everybody and definitely got away from the University of Georgia because of Jacob Fromm, one Ryan Day at Ohio State with Justin Fields, the former number one overall recruit in Ohio State, if anybody doesn't know, has never had the number one overall recruit in the country. But Justin Fields yesterday, anybody want to hear about this stat line? 18-25, 234 yards, four touchdowns. Then, 12 rushes for 66 yards and a touchdown accounted for five five total touchdowns. Looked pretty good, um, and it looked like he fit right in. It made you say, (laughs) Glenn Haskins who? Oh, wait, not Glenn Haskins. That was the old Minnesota coach. Still not my favorite (laughs) to win the Big Ten. Not even my favorite to come in second in the Big Ten, quite frankly. I'll tell you right now, Michigan and Penn State. Watch yeah. out. Yeah, I. you know, this is the first time that Jim Harbaugh, and we talked about him a little bit last week, but this is the first time since he's been there that he's had the second, the same quarterback for the second year. A guy that's quote-unquote offensive guru, and I'm not beating on Jim because I like him, uh, but this is only the first time that he's had his – The same quarterback for the second year. Yeah, but part of that is because he's had transfers come in that were able to play better than some of the people that maybe he might have recruited. And you know what? I don't like doing that because also, I mean, you go into Kevin Sumlin also not being able to keep quarterbacks. And these are guys who know the position, who are recognized as people who know offense that just haven't been able to keep quarterbacks or have had this quarterback carousel in what is the college football world. By the way, when you have the transfer portal these days, I can get a new quarterback. I probably get a new quarterback in week three. Yep, and 
I don't, uh, by the way, I said Glenn Haskins, and it's actually Dwayne Haskins. But Ohio State with, sure. <laughs> I can tell you right now, Justin Fields will make Ohio State fan not remember Dwayne Haskins. Well, he's busy trying to get on the field right now in the Reds- with the Redskins. So The only other one, and I, you could tell it's week one, the only other thing I would say is if you go back to Thursday night, Clemson's going to be tough. And by the way, just imagine when the quarterback plays really good. <laughs> because he was so-so on Thursday night, turned it over a couple of times. And you have the running back there in ATN who was looked like the Heisman front runner after after week one with all the yards that he put produced, and you, it looked like you wouldn't. Are you changing that from Jared Judy now? Uh, no, I'm just saying J- Judy is. I'm going to go with Judy anyway, just because I like I like Alabama and I like Jerry Judy, but it just Homer. There's uh you know still a lot. It's it's week one, so you know. Fair enough. So I think we've had enough of college football, at least. Again, we're in week one, so there's going to be a whole lot of changes that happen. And the teams that we're all looking at right now, what we saw in the first quarter of most of those games, we're not going to be seeing those four weeks down the road, eight weeks down the road. You'll start to see these teams more developed. That's the reason why we don't even do a quote-unquote poll for the playoffs until week eight. Yep, and I, you know, and how many times yesterday in games you were watching, and I know specifically probably go back to Duke and Alabama, but... How many times did you hear true freshman, true freshman starting left tackle, true freshman starting guard, true freshman at linebacker? You heard true freshman a lot. And these are we know that these are four and five star guys. So by week eight, you know what that what they'll look like between week six through eight as opposed to week one. Sure. I've always had a problem with that though, the the whole true freshman statement. I mean it's really five years difference. And yes, I recognize there is a difference in body from eighteen to twenty three. I completely understand that. But when you're talking about four and five star recruits that usually started in the spring, so they've had, they've been in the training, weight training system, they've changed their diets, they're working out. Like these guys are closer than we think that they are. And that's starting back, I mean, quite a few years ago. Urban did it with those teams that won those national championships down in Florida. All those guys started early. And yes, there's a difference between an 18 year old's body when he enrolls in March. Yes. And what, or, or April in the spring, excuse me, <laughs> or well, it's technically January, but yes, when he starts in the spring and then comes in back and is a true freshman in the fall, especially in these in these powerhouse programs with the great weight programs and everything else that they have, yeah, no, I agree. We're gonna go ahead and move on into dessert since we've uh, I think we've gotten our fill of week one of college football, and we're gonna kick off with NFL division winners. What we think is gonna happen this this year. Yep, so I'll start off. These are my picks. I'll do the entire AFC, and then I'll go into the NFC, and then you can have yours. Um, you want to just go back and forth, because I feel as though like I'm going to forget some things. Okay. okay. Let's do that. Okay, so let's start with the AFC North. I'm going with the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's not really a homer, because I'm going... Who's going to beat them? Exa- well, the other thing, too, is you have our two best coaches, one of our two finest coaches in this league, are in that division, and Mike Tomlin and John Harbaugh. And the hype around the Cleveland Browns, and yes, is the roster loaded? 100%. It is, it is exactly loaded with explosive players. But you have a head coach who it's- last year was managing four players. Now he has to manage 63, and that's counting the 10 on the practice squad. So I am going to go with the Pittsburgh Steelers in the AFC North. I'm going to go with the Steelers in the North also, and I'll say this because I just don't think that 
the Ravens are there, and I don't trust the quarterback. Um, you got a new head coach down there in Cincinnati, and, well, I don't feel that's an organization that is trying to win. I feel like that's an organization that is just trying to And beat. you're without A.J. Green for the first, what, six or eight weeks of the season now. Exactly. And um, with the Browns, to your point, they have a lot of explosive talent. Keyword is explosive. But as a new head coach, and you have that many – personalities, that's a lot to manage. Stop me if you've heard this, and this is what I see. Oh, some kind of dream team. Anybody remember that one? And they absolutely did weren't some kind of dream team. It was more like a nightmare. I mean, Herb Brooks might have had it right when he said, I'm not looking for the best players, I'm looking for the right ones. Yep. Let's move on to the AFC South. And I'm going to, I think, with last, new, last, last week's news of Andrew Luck retiring, I'm going to, I think this one, and then yesterday's trades. Laramie Tunsil. Yes, Laramie Tunsil. You added Kenny Stills, which, eh, whatever. Um, but you've also added Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson. And you're going to protect the franchise now. I think it's easy. It's the Houston Texans. We've already seen what Deshaun Watson can do um, with a bad offensive line. Imagine when you give him protection. I, I'm going to agree with that also. Um, Laramie Tunsil, keyword, left tackle. Done. So are we in uh, agreement that you, you're taking the Texans as well? Yes. In the South? Okay. AFC West, the team I'm going with is the Chiefs, but everybody kind of knows who my, my new favorite player is. I talked about him last year. Couldn't wait for him to play, and that's 15, Pat Mahomes. Um, he's just fun. He's fun, and he's probably got one of the best voices in football. So Kermit the Frog <laughs> has the best voice in football? I think with what's going on in San Diego right now, so no Russell Okun with these blood clots, so we have no idea. That's, that's uncertain. And then... Derwin James, who burst onto the scene as a rookie last year um, and landed up winning defensive rookie of the year kid in his second year out of Florida State, has a foot injury and had surgery, so he's out six to eight weeks, and we don't know what's going on with Melvin Gordon. They're they're now saying that, hey, go ahead and seek a trade if you'd like. Got to help the quarterback. So uh, I'm going with the Kansas City Chiefs. I feel at this point you and I are probably going to agree on the AFC divisional winners. I'm, though, excited to actually watch the Raiders play. And not because I'm a Raider fan, but because I cannot wait to see what week it is to watch this team implode. Well, it could be the second week of September. It could be the second week of September when Derek Carr misses Antonio Brown somewhere and he looks him off and then the water cooler flips and then like, how are y'all not getting me the ball? Don't you know I'm the best player out here? And I get it. He is probably the best player on the team. Not probably. He is the best player on the team. But that whole relationship, we'll see how that goes. I, it's <laughs> I'm, not, I'm with you. It's not just the quarterback and the wide receiver. Let's go ahead and throw the head coach in there too. Nobody's going to be a bigger star than that head coach. That's a, and he doesn't like it when people try to be the bigger star than him. Watch this. <laughs> Walk, yes. <laughs> AFC East, we got one word. Pats. <laughs> There's nothing else to talk about there. We're done. And moving on to the NFC. So we'll start. I'll start with the NFC North. I am going to go with the Chicago Bears, I believe. Dang it. Um, <laughs> look, I, I believe you have Khalil Mack. I believe you have... Mitchell Trubisky, and then the stable of running backs. And, by the way, what the head coach has done there, taking care of that quarterback and the weapons, and they've now protected him. So I'm going to go with the Chicago Bears. I think that's a no-brainer. I don't believe – the other thing that will be interesting to watch in that division is the relationship between the greatest living quarterback that everybody thinks that is Aaron Rodgers and the new head coach and and Matt LaFleur. I think that's going to be something to watch. Don't really know if they could protect him either. 
I, I don't really think that's something to watch at all. I think it's going to be a little bit more disastrous than they thought it was. I mean, that's what I'm talking when about. Head coach's job is not to kiss the quarterback's butt. That's not that's not what their job is to do. And so, if a quarterback sees differently than a head coach, and you take the quarterback's side, I don't know exactly how you're planning on building a team that can respect a head coach. You like the Bears in the North, and I would have probably taken the Bears in the North if you'd taken if you'd taken somebody else. But just for the sake of being contrary, I'm going to take the Vikings. Yep. Uh, okay. <laughs> Kirk Cousins has won what? Yeah. I will say this: he has won the Contract of the Year awards for the for the quarterbacks for the past six years. But whatever. He absolutely has. <laughs> um, moving on to the NFC South, I'm going to go with Sean Payton, Drew Brees, Alvin Kamara. Uh, by the way, fantasy people, if you haven't had your draft and it's a PPR league, my number one pick advice to you would be Alvin Kamara. The kid's explosive. There's nothing else there for him to compete with. No Mark Ingram to take the carries. And I really believe in what the Saints are doing. I, Sean Payton's definitely one of the best ones we have. I would put him at number two, in my opinion, but whatever. Um, I just like what they're going to do in New Orleans. And by the way, they're a little salty. They're, they're coming off a little bit of a salty year in the uh, in that Don't game against the Rams. Don't try to make him Nick Saban. Don't try to make him Nick Saban at all. And you know what? Just because... Just because I know it's going to drive people insane, and just because I like the guy a lot, I'm picking B.A. in Tampa because everybody right now, you, you pick the front runner in basically every division thus far. No, I've, There's I've, been no surprises. I've made the smart pick with a quarterback that values the football. Jameis Winston has the he, – he, the decisions that he makes off the field, he makes them on the field. He just doesn't value the football. And by the way, you take Bruce Arians, a guy that loves to take shots, deep shots down the field. Deep shots, streaked, all streaks almost damn near every play. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> and, and, and that kid who, can't, it won, his deep ball accuracy is poor. Sure. And, and his decision making is poor. Yeah. So best of luck with that one. I'm just cheering for the guy that wears the Kangle. I like it. Moving on. NFC West. I'm going with the Seahawks. Um, See? He's picking all the front runners. No, the Rams are actually the front runners since they're the defense. They they actually represented the conference in the in the Super Bowl last year. History says they won't make it again. I'm going with the Seahawks. I think you know one adding Jadeveon Clowney after losing Frank Clark to the Chiefs via trade. I, I think that helps. I also believe their offensive line another year going to get better. So. I, I, I like the Seahawks. I like the Seahawks, too. And I say frontrunner because of the Genevieve Clowney move. And I get it that the Rams were in the Super Bowl last year. But like I said, history says that that team's not going to make it again. The only team in the NFC that's made it repeatedly there has been the Seahawks. And I believe in Pete Carroll. And I believe in Genevieve Clowney the way I believed in Javon Kurse. Yeah, and they also don't forget the defensive players. Yes, it's great to have a pass rush. They don't move the number like the quarterback does. And they have one of the best ones in the league, too, in Russell Wilson. That's true. Um, and then we'll go on to the NFC East. You know, two years ago when they won the whole thing, they had the best locker room in football, which is why they won the whole thing. I love what Doug Peterson and those guys are doing there, and um, I'm going with the Philadelphia Eagles. Eagles! You don't need to tell me anything about the Cowboys besides the fact that Jerry Jones owns them, and I'm going to cheer against them every single game. My pick is actually the Giants. For any other reason, then you're right. You have no idea what you're going to get out of them. I, I love Eli. We talked ad nauseum about Eli last week. I think that there's going to be something there. When you put these guys down, it seems like magic happens. They won that first Super Bowl as a wild card. I mean, they weren't the first people to do it as a wild card winner. That was the Steelers the year before. 
but the Giants showed that they can do it. And I'm just telling you, when their backs are against the wall, magic happens. Yep. Um, the funny thing is, is we picked the two coaches in that division that aren't going to get fired at the end of the year <laughs> to, to win the division. So we know Shermer's not going to get fired. You know Peterson's not getting fired. But see you, Jay Gruden. See you, Jason Garrett. Welcome Jason Witten as the Cowboys head coach next year. It's either going to be Jason Witten or what's the offensive what's the offensive coordinator's name? Uh, he's the old Kellen Moore. There you go, Kellen Moore. All right, so there's our division winners for the year. If you like them, you like them. If you don't, you don't. Whatever. We'll see how that plays out. There's 16 games to be played. That's the reason why you play the game, right? You play to win the game. And it's fun, too, because next week next week is when it all starts. So you have, like, yeah, one college game today, but next week is when it all starts. It's a beautiful time of the year. <laughs> yeah, we will have football for the rest of the year on Saturday and Sunday. I'm pumped. Thursday through Monday, yep. we have football. Yep. God and- love you. And if you're that much of a football junkie, guys, go check out your local local high school teams. There's tons <laughs> of them around. Now that we've gotten through the division winners, let's talk about the most impressive thing that we saw. We're so, going to talk about the U.S. Open, right? Uh, yeah, we're going to talk about the U.S. Open and, the, and to be quite honest with you, just the women's side of it. You know, it goes back to even at Wimbledon. Is Coco Goff, 15 years old, when I was watching on um, Thursday. Thursday, runs everything down, keeps the composure, went out and blew it out in the first set on Thursday night. Lost the second set, got into a pickle in the third as her opponent started playing better. And then, but the composure for at 15, but I flipped off of football games to actually watch Naomi Osaka and Coco Goff play. And I think the most impressive thing I saw was at the end of the match. And Naomi Osaka had asked Coco Goff basically, hey, I want you to do this post game presser with me on, on center court there. And I, this is what one, this is why sports are awesome. So you have a 15 and a 21 year old. Coco Goff did not want to take the stage away. Impressive by both of them. Humility, selfless, all-in-one. Um, I don't think you could do it any better than that. So I I agree with everything you said there. I want to spend a little bit of time on Naomi Osaka and what she did there. She's half Japanese, half Haitian. She's basically grown up in New York City. This, by all means, is as much her tournament as it is, as it is anybody else's. I mean, Serena's from Compton. That's in California. She's in there said... I definitely wasn't the favorite today. And to watch her do what she did, it was the grace and poise that you wanted to see last year from Serena when she lost to Osaka. I'm not trying to beat on Serena by any means because we know how hard she takes a loss. But what Osaka did yesterday to me was the perfectly gracious hostess that we saw when Venus would win. Mm, Yeah. Let's get on with the funniest thing that we saw this week, Greg. <laughs> so, funniest thing I saw this week. So, we all know that this is like the 10th year of the ESPN, the body issue. And this will probably be the only time this year or on this show that I'll talk about baseball. But reigning National League MVP, Christian Yelich, was, is in the body issue. And it's quite comical if you go to at J 77 on Twitter. Um, why are you pubbing her? Just I, I'm not. I'm not pubbing her. I just you'll see why this is so funny. She's quite a prude, actually. But here's what she wrote: finds the body issue distasteful and describes her sadness that Yelich didn't give a thought about all the kids that idolize him before doing his naked photo shoot. And Kristen Yelich came back with "Relax, Roxanne," and then guess what he did on Tuesday night with his walk-up music? 
Roxanne. I don't know if that's how the song goes. Jay, but. <laughs> changed his walk-up music to Roxanne on Tuesday night at Roxanne J77. Why best, are you still pubbing her? Best of luck in life. All right. So the funniest thing I saw this week, I don't normally do this because the child can't help what his parents named him. But I am going to take issue with the parents right here. The coldest to ever do it. That's the child's name. That is the child's government name. Good the God. coldest. Good God. I'm sorry. I already know. The coldest. Yes. True story. That's funny. It's reminiscent of, say, Peerless. Right? Sure. I think we might have gone a little too far. Yes. Folks, this week's version of Favorite for the Win. I would just also like to give a shout out. Dan Doherty, first listener of the podcast ever. And also, happy birthday. Sunday, September 1st. Happy birthday, Dan Doherty. Thanks again for listening. Thanks, y'all. We'll talk to you soon.